everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Are You Kidding Me? I'm Naomi Schaefer Riley, a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And hello, I'm Ian Rowe, also a resident fellow at AEI. And today we are thrilled to have a guest with us, Malka Groden. She is one of my favorite people. She is the Deputy Director of Development for the Manhattan Institute. But today she is with us because she is an adoptive mother of two young children. And we wanted to talk today about the issue of transracial adoption, which a lot of people might think is really not much of an issue, but it still is. Last week, we had a piece from the Brookings Institution. They cite the famous statement from the National Association of Black Social Workers from 1972, which says that only a Black family can transmit the emotional and sensitive subtleties of perception and reaction essential for a Black child's survival in a racist society today. So, Malka, as the adoptive mother of two African-American children, can you tell us a little bit about your reaction to this piece? Sure. I mean, this has been bubbling for a little while. We've been hearing this, especially those of us who have been through the process of adopting transracially or adopting Black children, my children are biracial. We've heard this language before, meaning on the one hand, as we enter the world of child welfare, it becomes quickly apparent that there are many Black children waiting for homes. So it becomes clear that, you know, you should open yourself up. You should think about adoption isn't, you know, surrogacy. You're not looking for your, what your family might have looked like had you had biological children. Let's say you're coming to this from infertility, let's say. So you open yourself up and you're told the narrative that we hear in the child welfare world, which is, There's something inherently problematic when white parents adopt a Black child because there's a perpetuation of cycle of white supremacy. And we're coming to this from a place of privilege, and we will never be able to be the parents that a Black child needs. So, but then seeing it last week, it was like all that that narrative that we hear, but from Brookings, which was kind of surprising. surprising. And it almost legitimized that narrative. And my main fear with that narrative is, you know, okay, on the one hand, who's reading, you know, think tank papers? Hey. <laughs> you know, as someone works for it, I mean, hopefully yes. a lot of people, <laughs> you know, we, we, have, yes. we have great press teams, you know, of course. But on the other hand, and that's something someone that I know in the adoption world kind of said to me, like, don't worry about it. Like, this doesn't, this isn't trickling down. But when you, we look at the world of social media and evangelical adoptive mothers, perspective, adoptive parents, this language trickles down and it affects the choices that perspective parents make about opening themselves up to a Black child when that doesn't reflect the need at all. And also the the question is, in comparison to what? I mean, how often do you see children of all races languishing in foster care in situations in which they could go for years not living in a loving home with loving parents. So if there are loving white parents, would-be parents of a Black child, these folks are saying they'd say, no, 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 let's just have these kids languish, because that unfortunately is the reality. Sure. And it's also, it's a matter of prioritizing right now. And right now, for a lot of people, it seems like race is the priority above, above all else. And especially in the time of COVID in the last few months. I mean, for me on a personal level, I've done a lot of thinking about like, where would my children be and how lucky they are. Even that sentence, 
you know, can get me in trouble in the adoption world for saying how lucky that they are. But really at the core of it, they're lucky. They're in the safe home with toys and people that read to them and, and bedtimes and working parents and a mother and a father. And so especially during this time, it's, it, it's even more irresponsible to be using this narrative about race above all else when the reality is that the alternative would be, you know, a situation, for example, where the mother is a prostitute, you know, and who are the men that are coming through that home? You know, what type of danger does that child experience? I mean, these are all very real examples. Just to echo your point about how this message is definitely trickling down. And I, and I know you've told me that you're on these, you know, different Facebook groups and you've, you know, talked to other prospective adoptive parents. But um, there was also an article recently in America Magazine, which is a Catholic magazine. Obviously, the Catholic Church has a long, long history of encouraging and embracing adoption as a cause and in families. This article says that white parents who adopt black children serve them best when they see the adoption as requiring a serious inventory of their own lives and quite possibly radical change. And so, you know, here you have a situation where obviously it's going to require radical change in your life to adopt a child. But the idea that you need to change your life in particular because you're adopting a child of another race and that that places a whole new burden on you, I think is also something that is is a message that is trickling down to people that they see this. I see this like I'm, a, I'm an advice column junkie and I read this in advice columns. People write in saying, I don't think it's responsible of, of us to take in a black child because, you know, or I would be worried too much if I've read lesbian couples who write in, you know, interracial lesbian couples. I'm not sure that we should use the genetic material of the black mother because then we'll have to worry about this child getting arrested or we'll have to worry about how hard it is to raise a black child in America today. The messaging that's going on here, I mean, I think real white supremacists would embrace this messaging. That is what is so bizarre here. I mean, there is an element to this where, you know, I look at my life and it's important to me that my life is, I have people around me, all types of people around me and genuine relationships with those people. That's first and foremost. But when you start this process, you're kind of, you you get into this place where they tell you, maybe you'll have a black doctor. Maybe you'll find a black doctor. You know, maybe you'll start taking your child to a black hairdresser, which actually might be helpful, especially in terms of hair. That actually is a good idea. My point that I'm trying to make is that there is a lot of tokenizing that takes place in the training that you receive. You should develop genuine relationships with all different types of people because that's important. And because it colors your life when you have different relationships, you know, from your professional life, from the gym, myself and my husband, we value that. But the tokenizing that takes place is just, it seems kind of crazy, especially where it's coming from. And there's a lot of that that we hear when we're in training. Yeah, you know, and I'd also say, you know, I, I am an adoptive parent myself, and, and there does need to be special preparation for what those challenges are. But the message that comes from that Brookings piece, and just general, it's this idea that only Black people, Black parents have the ability to impart some kind of identity formation to black children. And I thought, I thought most of these folks were like, love is love. And <laughs> is, isn't that the idea that love is love? And if you've got an adoptive parent, and by the way, an adoptive parent that could be a married couple, a single couple, interracial couple, there's so many formations, but the essence is that they are ready to take on 
the unbelievable responsibility and honor and love of having a child, why isn't that the primary determinant? And to create race now as a barrier, as you say, Naomi, it, it really feels like much more of a supremacist position than it is that's actually focused on what's best for the child. You know, we have laws, federal laws in the books where, at least in terms of the foster care system, you know, we're not allowed to discriminate based on race in placing kids for foster care or adoption. And one of the reasons that that law was put into place was to push back against this 1972 statement and the attitude among social workers that if they couldn't find a racial match, it was better off to leave the kids in foster care. So we we have had this law in the book since the 90s, the Multi-Ethnic Placement Act. And you know, what was great about the Multi-Ethnic Placement Act was it was a, it was bipartisan legislation. There used to be agreement, political agreement on both sides of the aisle that of this thing that we find obvious, that it is better for a child to be in a loving, safe, permanent home than for a child to languish in foster care, no matter what color the parents are in that home. And I just fear, Ian, that we have lost that consensus now. I was recently watching, it just came up on my feed, Jada Pinkett Smith has this show, Red Table Talk a Facebook live show. And so they had an adoptee on the show. And as they're preparing for it, they're in their kitchen and the aunt or someone says like, I've always thought that black children should be in a black family. And that's like the beginning of the show. And what's troubling is that a lot of the sentiment is coming from people that aren't in the field. They don't know what it means to take care of a child that, that it has to be placed for adoption for whatever reason. And it's troubling when this narrative is just coming from people, it's not only, but comes quickly off the lips of those that aren't in the field and don't know, you know, the struggles and the, the sacrifices. I interviewed the guy who was the head of the New York Foundling, which is, I think, the oldest foster care agency in New York. And he said, said to me, we were talking about race, and he said, unfortunately, in the child welfare system, race is not a variable. Race is a constant. That phrase is just so stunning me. <laughs> like, that is an are you kidding me statement. I mean, one thing that's so interesting about this, the rate of interracial marriage is actually rapidly increasing in this country. Yeah. So what are they going to say to those people? Well, you know, if you're, a, if you, let's say you're a black and white couple, you sort of cancel each other out. You can't adopt either race. You know, like this, this sort of race-based decision-making, it's just ludicrous. You know, and again, in a perfect world, Every child that's born would be born to their two biological parents who are together. And that's what I think most of us would believe is a great thing, that those two parents were ready. But these kids are in foster care or they've been placed for a reason. And so then the question is, what's the best setting for that child? And to create rules that automatically disqualify whole groups of people solely based on one dimension, in this case, is race is just it's it's not actually in service of the child and it continues meaning i i have adopted my children i it's the greatest honor that they are my children i feel there i feel there are no words to describe the blessings that i feel for that and still to this day the narratives affect me I, you know i have to go to naomi to be like for her to say like that's crazy don't relax but you know i it seeps in where you start to think like did I do the wrong thing? Am I a moral pariah? I mean, that's too extreme. I don't have it that strong, but it, but it does seep in. And that's not what you need when you're trying to raise happy and healthy, secure children. 
I think one of the things that struck me while I was reading all these citations of this ridiculous 1972 statement was that despite the fact that we know so much more about how children form attachments now from a scientific perspective and the importance of them having a secure attachment from their earliest months to at least one person who is going to always fulfill their needs, whether it is their you know, need to eat or, or be changed or be comforted or you know, be read to or whatever it is. And that it is not that it does not necessarily have to be a person who shares their DNA, let alone their skin color or you know, blood type or whatever, but it has to be one person. There has to be that kind of secure attachment. And the, and the science, we, all these monkey experiments, everything brings us back to that. And I think we know so much more about this than we did 40 or 50 years ago. And yet we are still returning to this. Like, I know there are certain people who love science, except when <laughs> it doesn't support the narrative. And I think this is one case where that's clearly true. Kids need secure, permanent, loving, stable attachments. They need an adult who will always be responsive to them. And it does not matter what color that adult is. And that's a synonym for parent, loving <laughs> parent. Parents. <laughs> yes. And I, I fear that very soon, this type of language will only be found in a faith-based setting. And even then, you know, that's not even a guarantee, but more and more, those are the only voices that say, you know, adoption is love. Doesn't matter what your family looks like. You're a family. We don't have any other voices. How much do, how much do you think this is a phenomenon of children who've been adopted, who years later are coming out to say this? Because to some degree, there's this narrative, but it doesn't seem to be a narrative that's backed up by actual evidence. So where, where is it actually coming from other than just a racially deterministic ideology, much less speaking to the actual kids who've experienced this and who I would imagine there are always issues, right? But for the most part, these kids were very happy to have grown up in a loving home. I mean, there definitely are a lot of adoptee voices now that you know, are expressed concern. That was one of the guests on Red Table Talk that I referred to earlier. But I mean, I'd imagine, you know, most adopted children, at some point in their lives, there is going to be a struggle and they're going to need guidance because at the end of the day, I mean, there was a trauma that occurred early on. Exactly. They were severed from there where they were meant to be. So it's hard sometimes to parse out what is part of that. And right now, especially in the in the adoption world, there's so much about the triad, giving respect to the whole triad, to the adoptive parent, the birth parent, and the adoptee, which of course, of course, I believe that you respect all parts of the triad, but there is an element of, well, at the end of the day, I am your parent and I'm going to do what's best for you because I, it's my responsibility to keep you healthy and safe and secure. And at some point, you know, you might have quibbles about that because you're my child and adding all the gravity of adoption. I mean, we should hear those voices, but we should also realize where they're coming from. And at some point, you know, we, we have to acknowledge that there are a lot of things that your parents, either biological or adoptive, are never going to be able to prepare you for in life. 
there are all sorts of traumas that you are going to experience. And, you know, people get to be an adult and they say, these are all the things that my parents did wrong. I can't wait for the day when my kids decide that. But I'm just saying, I mean, are you kidding me? Are you saying that you're not the perfect parent? I might be, but you have to wait till my kids grow up. But just because your parents share the same color skin as you doesn't mean they're going to be able to prepare you for all the things that, that go wrong in your life. And so I think some of this is just looking back and saying, oh, I wish my parents had done this better. I wish my parents had done that better. But it's within the context of adoption. And because race is so central to every single conversation we have to have now, people look to race as the problem. They're like, that was the issue growing up. That's what I blame my adoptive parents for doing wrong, what I blame my biological parents for doing wrong and giving me up. That's where all this, you know, comes to rest. But I think we should probably end there because we've probably gone over time. But we really appreciate you coming and we hope you'll come back again. You can get episodes of Are You Kidding Me? at the AEI podcast channel or wherever you get your podcasts. And we hope you'll join us again soon. Thank you. Malka, thank you very much. Thanks for having me.